welcome to the Men in Lead podcast. What is up, my Sunlight Samurais? Welcome back to another episode. I have a great guest on called Eric Everhart. So he is one of the top paid and most recognized actors in the adult film world. He's also been enshrined in the Hall of Fame since he's been doing this for over two decades now. So he has a bunch of experience in this arena. In 2010, he embarked on a transformational journey studying NLP at one of the top institutes in America. Since then, he has been teaching high achievers to achieve elite sexual skills so that they can dominate the bedroom as they dominate the boardroom. Enjoy this conversation with Eric Everhart. You also have a course specifically for crushing performance anxiety. So what I always find interesting is that if someone doesn't have erectile dysfunction or premature ejaculation, for example, why would someone have performance anxiety? Let's say it's not their first time, though. Well, you know, so there's so many different reasons why people can have performance anxiety. I mean, one, you know, and I think one of the core things behind it sometimes is, is sexual shame. Right. We've got shames about our bodies. It, it may be that we are shamed from an early age. Sex is bad. Sex is dirty. Or it can also be the fact that we're uncomfortable with the way that we look. Right. So, I mean, if you're not feeling good about yourself, then you don't want to be showing yourself off to the world. Therefore, you start to be like, ah, you know, you, you close inside on yourself rather than saying, hey, you know, I'm, I'm super happy where I am. Then, of course, you also have societal pressure on men because you know, for, for good or for bad, we do tend to take a lot of our understandings from the world from pornography, because in some ways it's the only, you know, real sex education a lot of people sort of gravitate to. So then they, they start comparing their size and it becomes this thing about size. And then if they don't feel that they measure up now, again, they start to feel anxiety about their abilities and their, their performance in the bedroom. So there's a whole bunch of areas. And then, you know, it's, it's not even, just performance anxiety in general, but it can be very specific because say, for example, there's a particular woman that you have pedestalized and you are like, oh my God, this is the, the crowning, this is the best woman of my life. The enormity of the event can crush you. You see this in sports all the time. How many times have you seen a team crush it all year long, get to the Super Bowl? failure because the, the stakes are just so much higher now. So it's like, okay, when you get to that top level of, of needing to perform, at least in your mind, you know, where it must happen. And if you can't deal with your anxiety in the moment, then you're, you're going to falter. And then a lot of times guys don't take it as just a one-off. What they do is now they make that, oh my God, my dick is broken. I don't work. I've got the, all these problems. And then it spirals down from there because now when you go into your next interaction, well, you're thinking about that interaction and what went wrong. And that's where you're, where the point of your of origin of your mind is at, is in the past. You're not living in the present. You're not experiencing the present. You're not present with the woman. You're not enjoying the act. You're sitting there thinking about, well, what happened last time? And that again, starts that tsunami of negative thinking that guys get trapped in. You talked about like um, men that's uh, pedestalizing women. What's your opinion on men doing that? Uh, you know, it's 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 really interesting because you know obviously there's there's you know men's groups and there's 
the red pill community and there's a lot of different things. Um, I think you need to be a lover of women, like fundamentally. Um, so it's, it, you want to ride this fine line of, well, you see them as equals and you're not putting them above you, but you're not putting them below you. Because, yeah. you know, it's like you, you get some of these guys that are like, I'm the prize, I'm this, I'm that, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, well, women don't really gravitate to that. Like, you know, women that, 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 are, um, that are not damaged don't tend to gravitate to that. So you don't want to pedestalize a woman, but at the same time, you're, you're not trying to, to lower them because, I mean, who wants to have a low-value woman around? Like I know for myself, like, I don't want to have a low value woman in my life. Like, I'm, you know, and then of course you, you know, from, from a man's perspective, of course, then you can also bifurcate. Well, I mean, there's the women that I would sleep with, but I would never date or have a serious relationship with. Right. And then there's the women that I would. And so, you know, maybe you're willing to sleep with the low value woman, but you certainly don't want one as a partner or someone that, that is an intricate part of your life. So I think that's kind of the balance, you know, but, but definitely you shouldn't be pedestalizing them, but you can't just sit there and, and think that they are lower value than you are. Because again, who, who wants to have somebody that's lower value in their life? Yeah, I've seen men that have so little value in themselves that they would see an ordinary woman and feel like that woman is way out of their league just because they value themselves so little. So what can a man do to um, kind of bring that equilibrium that you're talking about? Well, I think it really just starts with yourself, right? Like what, what can you do in your daily life that, that makes you feel good and gives you value? I mean, um, for me, you know, that was where my journey to, to lifting weights started, really. I mean, I was, I was you know, truth be told, and, and I've said this on my pad, podcasts, I was the fattest kid in my high school, yeah. right? So I know what it's like to go from being tormented and being all that to coming all the other way to having a six pack. And, you know, a lot of times people would ask me, you know, I'm 45 now, and they're like, wow, how do you stay in such great shape for 45? I'm like, eh, if you were tortured when you were in your teenage years, you'd be in shape at 45 too, right? <laughs> I mean, everything, there's negatives and there's benefits to everything in life, right? And how we take it. So, but yeah, being in the gym and just gaining that self-confidence and, and understanding what you have control over. You know, you can control how you look. You can control um, your diet. You can control then how you feel about yourself because it's not about, it's not even about external validation. It's about validating yourself every day and saying, okay, like now this is something that I want to take care of because I'm worthy. And, and I now have that understanding. So I think for a lot of guys, like you, you got to start with, with yourself and getting yourself in order. Um, if you ever read a lot of Jordan Peterson's material, most of it's based on, well, get your, get your damn self in order first, before you start going out there in the world. Uh, and that could be, you know, from so many different ways to, you know, just being organized, to taking care of yourself, to eating right, you know, to, to doing what you're saying you're going to do. Um, and all these things, I think, affect us as guys, you know, if you're lost. Like even me, you know, I went through what I call the, the lost decade of my life, because I think as guys, we all, we all, need, we all need purpose, right? 
You don't need a mission. You need a purpose. And for years, when I started the, the, the porn industry, it's like, this was the greatest job ever, you know? So to me, I was like, this is the best thing ever until it wasn't. Um, but I felt I had kind of a purpose. And then as I got disillusioned with the porn, now it was like, well, well, what am I left? What am I here to do? And that's what set me really on this path of self-discovery that that sent me to the NLP college that sent me to then work with shamanic plant medicines. I started working with ayahuasca um, a lot, getting different downloads of information and just sort of seeing like, okay, well, what, what is now presenting itself to me? Because even my path to men's coaching, it's not like I woke up one day and said, I'm going to coach men. It wasn't like that. It was more like constantly, you know, let's call it life or God or providence kept throwing this in front of me saying, okay, like, Hey, guess what? Here, take a look at this again. Here's what you're supposed to do. Take a look. And I kept saying, no, no, no. Even my best friends, they were like, man, you need to be a coach. I was like, ah, why would I do that? What are you talking about? Um, and then, uh, and then a, a girl that I was dating um, in Los Angeles, you know, she, she told me, cause she was this uh, civilian girl. And she said, look, I don't know what you're doing in bed, but it is something I've never seen before. And you should write a book. And that was the first seed that, that planted. And that was years and years ago. And I said, Oh, write a book. That's kind of interesting. And then, um, yeah, one day I just started writing and then I just wrote, you know, people, you know, I'm finishing off my second book now, but people are always like, well, how did you write a book? I was like, man, I got up every day and I wrote, it's like a job. Like the, you know, if you, if you never accomplished writing a book, it's because you didn't set out a schedule to do it. You thought about it. It's like, no, let's not think about it. Let's write about it. Let's just put in an hour every day. A month later, you'll have a book. Yeah. I must say, like, you're 45. You look really good for your age. Not just that you are in shape, but your skin, your hair, everything looks really uh, good. Do you do anything else than gym for your health? You know, not really. I mean, for me, it was always the, the, the diet aspect. And, you know, I love the fact that, that, uh, I started going through all your material with uh, your, your journey into Ray Pete and all this stuff. I mean, I just was recently turned on to him and a lot of different teachings, which again, <clears throat> as I've gone through my own personal journey, I'm always willing to learn. I'm always like, okay, what's the next, you know, the next hack? What's the next level up? Like, where can I get better? Where can I excel? <clears throat> you know, and I even took this into my abilities, like within the porn industry, I was always looking like, okay, well, what, you know, what, what do I need to eat? What, what, what herbal things can I take? What supplements do I need? What minerals do I need? I was always very scientific about it because especially for me, my body would react to things so easily. And, and, you know, being as a, a porno actor, it was literally like being a little sort of laboratory where you could almost test things, you know, it's like, I, I could, I could test a supplement and, and see like, okay, well, how, how did that affect me? And I've had different things that would quite drastically affect my performance abilities. Right. So I would see that, but no, for me, it was, it was just the lifelong dedication really to diet because um, from the time I was about, let's call it 16 was when I started, that started my transformational journey. And then I was on very much of a bodybuilder type diet for my whole life. And of course, that's changed as I've removed certain, certain foods. I found I had, you know, definitely 
certain allergies and, and I'm still working on them. You know, I was even reading through some of your stuff on, on gut health. And I was like ticking off boxes. I'm like, Oh, I'm going to try that. going to try that. Uh, yeah, let's, let's see what Hans is up to here. Um, so yeah, I'm constantly learning, but uh, to bring it back to your point, no, it's really just been, been diet and, and lifestyle. I've, I was never a, a alcohol guy, so I rarely drink, uh, not a partier, never did that. Um, never had any big vices of any kind. So I think really, if you just, if you're very moderate in the things that you're doing and especially with your diet, you know, because that's what you're taking in all day, every day, you know, it's like, I, I can't see someone eating McDonald's day in and day out and feeling very good or looking very good um, after a short while. Yeah, that's been my experience. Like you, you're always looking for that next supplement, that next act like you talk about. But then at the end of the day, it always comes back to the diet and the lifestyle. Like if I'm not eating these foods on this consistent basis and I'm not doing exercise and living my lifestyle a certain way, that's changing my baseline. I always talk about this baseline that you create with the diet and lifestyle. So you want to elevate that baseline with the diet and lifestyle, and then you can put on supplements because that's going to elevate your baseline. But if your baseline is down here and you try some supplements, oh, it's going to make a little bit of a difference, but it's never going to make that big of a difference. But so you said you had a book. I read it. It was amazing. It was really good. I'll link it for you guys in the description below. You said you're writing a second book. What is that second book about? Uh, so the, the, the second book, uh, I can actually tell you the name of it. Um, we're, we're going to be putting that out probably within the next four to five months. It's called The Tao of Pussy Eating. Uh, a porn star's guide to clitoral mastery. And, uh, and I did that as a, as a, as a guide, because one of the things that I've been teaching my clients and has really been sort of um, an epiphany for them has been, you know, how can you master this and, and, and understanding what it is that you need to be paying attention to techniques to do it. And just everything that I learned from the 23 year, you know, laboratory experiment that I took part in. I should also add that when I say I read the books, actually me and my wife that read this book. So it's not just a book for men only. I do think that women and couples can benefit from this because she really is like, wow, this is interesting. Hey, honey, let's talk about this. And what do you think of this? And so it was quite an interesting experience to do that together. Um, but I want to ask you about your name. Since your name is Eric Everhart, which is obviously not the name you were born with. How did you come up with that? How did you pick that one? Oh, this is it. You're going to actually love this story. <clears throat> So I did not come up with my name. Uh, I used to work the counter at uh, Gator's Gym in Vancouver, BC. So I used to sell gym memberships, you know, back in the day, right? And um, and this gym was—you'd uh, probably love it. It was it was it, it was every avatar of meathead trained at this gym. So we had policemen, we had Hell's Angels. We had bodybuilders. We had one guy that went to the world's strongest man. Um, uh, and you had drug dealers um, and you had bouncers. I mean, you know, just every very much avatar you could imagine. And uh, like I said, I worked, I worked behind the counter. And uh, when I first did my first couple of scenes, one of my, uh, one of the, the friends, he used to always come into the gym. He was the resident drug dealer of the gym. So he sold all the steroids to everybody in the gym, right? And, uh, you know, he was a short guy, you know, five foot four and probably four feet wide. And, uh, you know, they were all sitting around in the, in the juice bar. We were just chatting and I, it had come out that I'd done porno and, and literally they were like, well, you got to have a name. And I was like, oh, I don't know. Right. And then my buddy pipes up and he's like, he just comes off his stool and he's like, 
Eric Everhard. He's like, he's like, because you got to have alliteration. And I saw your your movie, and your your dick was never down. It was always hard, and 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 your blonde hair. So you look Nordic. So you got to spell it with a K. And literally, imagine. And this like in ten seconds, he came up with all this, right? And all us meatheads are just kind of looking at him. And we go, Jeff, that is brilliant. And that was that was how, so. Yeah, I did not pick the name. My my friend came up with it for me. And I guess all the producers and everyone was like, "Oh, that yeah, that's, that sounds good to me." Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they they were like, "That's original. Nobody's got that one." So yeah. So how common it is for people to kind of like have names like that in the porn industry? Um, you know, everybody has sort of a different story about how they come up with, you know, their quote unquote name. I mean, people know my real name. I even say it in my book. I mean, my real name's Mitch, but. Um, most people always like to have, you know, it's just, it's almost at this point, um, I would say just how business happens that people will have a stage name, though there are some people where their stage name will be their real name. Um, there, you do have a couple of performers where they they just go with their real name and that's it. Um, so it doesn't really matter, but yeah, usually people find something either entertaining, something to play on words or, or something that at least hasn't been used before because trust me you start there's there's probably a million and one stones or steels out there in the name over the last you know 30 40 years right so yeah i can imagine so to bring it back to diet you said you always kind of like mm-hmm. focused on your diet you had the bodybuilding diet initially you change it over time have you ever noticed that in the 20 years that you've been in the business more than 20 years notice that your diet has affected uh you know your sexual performance well, yeah, and this is this is something I've really been digging into more lately. Um, and I, when I say lately, I'd say probably the last three years, four years, um, where I've started finding out that I have a lot of um, gut issues and inflammation issues that I would have never noticed before. Um, so what I've noticed, you know, for me, nightshades are, are a no-no. And I used to eat them. I mean, you know, everybody tells you, oh, tomatoes are super healthy. Like, why wouldn't you eat those? Right. So of course I ate, and I was always getting a really bad uh, psoriasis and, and skin issues and just never went away. Um, so that was one of the big ones was, you know, getting rid of certain foods that people tell you are healthy, which I'm sure maybe for someone else is healthy, but for me, not at all. I mean, it would massively um, impact me negatively. Um, so those are some of the, the big things where I would say, you know, nightshades for sure. Um, and then, you know, getting rid of nuts. Um, I've gone back and forth with the dairy, but it looks like I'm probably going to have to get rid of that as well. Um, so it's like the process of elimination. Cause I did do an autoimmune paleo diet for a while and literally almost all my issues cleared up. It's just when you're on an autoimmune paleo diet, you're eating nothing hardly. <laughs> you know, like it's really, I mean, it is restrictive. I mean, I could do it long term, but yeah, I mean, you want to take the fun out of life. Like, yeah, for sure. I've never done one. I've, I've had the same experience. I think I'm also sensitive to the nightshade where I also get psoriasis. Like I've got the dandruff and got all of this flaky stuff like behind the ears and in the beard. And it was quite... Uh, not, not so nice. So cutting out the, the nightshade helped a lot. And you now I love chili, chili sauce, but that's kind of like the, the biggest offender because it's so regional of those uh, toxins that can of cause those kind of inflammation. Um, but you said milk. Um, have you like tried goat milk versus the cow's milk? You know what? 
and 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 so you'll love this one because I'm giving you a plug here. I have goat milk in the fridge only because I was going through your course and I was like, goat milk. All right. So I'm experimenting as we speak with the goat milk. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yeah, and and I and I'm 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 also experimenting with um, lactose free milk just to see because you know I I was reading what you were talking about with A2 milk. However, in Czech Republic. I don't even know if they know what A2 milk is. So I was like, okay, let's try goat milk and I'll experiment with the lactose free and, you know, play, play that and see what, what happens with my body. Yeah, for sure. You're in South Africa. It's the same thing. It's just milk. It's no differentiation between the different kinds. So it's like, if you want to exactly. have something, it's like, just get the goat. Yeah. So yeah. my next question to you is how frequently did you ejaculate when you were on, on the job? So the, the reason I asked this is because Oftentimes when men ejaculate because of their health, they struggle to uh, get an erection again for the next two to three days, because every time you ejaculate, you get the surge in prolactin, which has an inhibitory effect on your libido and sexual function. So uh, how frequently did you, did you ejaculate and did you feel like that um, messed up your sexual function? Yeah, interesting point. Um, I mean, it would be, I mean, in the heyday, it was, it was every day, if not twice a day. Um, I mean, I've gone through... I've gone through some periods before where I think the most, I think the most scenes I ever did in a month was 36. So more than, you know, you're talking every single day. Um, and, uh, you know, that wasn't, um, hard on the body as far as erectile function. Um, what I have noticed, I mean, especially as I started to get older was definitely the, the energetic piece of it. So, you know, when, when I was in my twenties, it was like, okay, do, do one scene, do two scenes, go to the gym. Ah, no problem. Right. Like, and then as you get older, it's like, okay, like I've learned now it's like, if I don't like gym has to be first thing in the morning, if anything else happens, I do not have the energy for it anymore. And I would notice the same thing if I had, if I had ejaculated, like you do that one, it's like, oh man, okay, I'm now tired. So it's, it's interesting for me that it's, it's not a erectile capacity or function thing, but it is an energetic thing. And that I now completely understand because I never felt that in my youth, but I do feel it now. So it also saps your libido, so to speak then. Yeah. It will. It, it, and it's not even just libido, um, but it's, it's just daily energy. Like you're just, you're just tired. It's almost like you're in a fog. Um, where, where, where you don't have that, that energy to, you know, either get work done, do a workout, do much of anything. You just feel like, like, blah. Um, and, and like I said, when I was younger, that was never a problem. I could just crush through everything. Um, so I, I, I definitely see why you've got, you know, a lot of older men getting on, on TRT and things today. Cause, cause I could, I could see that for me down the road as well, just to, to keep the, keep the high level of energy and function. So you talk about TRT and in the book, you also mentioned that you've always had high levels of libido. So have you ever checked your hormones specifically like testosterone, DHA, testosterone, prolactin, estrogen? Yeah. So it's interesting you say that because I, because I tested them recently um, because um, like, as, like I said, you know, in my youth, like it was crazy off the charts, like almost destructive level of libido. Uh, then I, I had the first kind of hit, like 
where I was like, oh, okay, it's gone down a little bit at 33. And then the next hit was about 42. And the 42 one, I could definitely noticed. Um, so I never tested myself when I was younger. I have, I have myself tested now, but I've never tested um, DHEA, even though I do supplement with that. Um, but I have tested testosterone and mine are low now, um, definitely compared to where they used to be. So I can feel that from a, from a libido perspective. Have you also checked prolactin or not? No, I have not. I have not. Oh, yeah. So the reason I, I, said- I, I did, uh, I did, uh, I, I mean, I did a ton of stuff when I did my panels, but, um, a lot of it was around, uh, the testosterone, the free testosterone, um, uh, T3, T4, um, TSH, uh, well, insulin markers, uh, hepatic markers. So yeah, tons of stuff, vitamin D. Um, but yeah, no, not prolactin. The reason I ask is because prolactin is that, that main inhibitor, one of the main inhibitors of your libido. So you get the serotonin and the prolactin that are kind of like the most dominant that inhibit libido. So, um, if you have high dopamine, so it's, that, I think this is where men also kind of confuse it is that they think that the androgens specifically are responsible for stimulating sexual function. It's actually also mostly dopamine that work in synergy. So the testosterone and your DHC, they stimulate um, the production, the sympathetic nervous system in the brain of which dopamine and, you know, the catecholamines are involved and they give you that drive and everything. So some people have different levels of dopamine. They have different productions of dopamine, different breakdowns of dopamine. Have you ever done like a genetic test like 23andMe? No, I did. Um, I did do a, uh, an ancestry one before, but uh, no, I haven't done a, a 23andMe type thing. I, w- I would be curious to, to see how that works. So with that, you can, you can determine your, your prolactin levels or how does that work specifically? So, yeah, there's a specific enzyme called COMT and that one breaks down dopamine. So people have different expressions of that enzyme. So the faster it operates, the faster it breaks down your dopamine and the less libido you will basically have. These people tend to be a little bit more desensitized and they can watch horror movies and stuff like that without really um, becoming too aroused by that. So they're not that sensitive to, whereas someone that has a low expression of that enzyme, they have higher levels of dopamine. They tend to be more driven, very high libido and getting stuff done in life because of that low expression of that enzyme. So that's why some people can have very high libido, whereas other people, you know, it's it's more average because they're breaking down that dopamine quite quickly. Hmm, Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I would have to get that checked out just to see even how that gene is being expressed. So um, you said your libido has changed. You have experienced a few knocks over the years. Do you think that's in line with um, how lean do you feel you are at the moment, like body fat percentage wise? Hmm. I don't know, really. I mean, I've got, I've got, uh, you know, I have visible abs. Um, we're not, we're not stage shredded or anything, but, uh, but I mean, I, I stay at a, a decent level of leanness. Um, so yeah, that's, that's where I'm, where I'm at now, but I, I wouldn't be able to put a figure on it. I mean, probably, oh, I would say 10 to 12% maybe or something. Okay. Yeah. The reason I ask is because, um, not eating enough calories. Like if you're always maintaining a small deficit, because for example, you have to be lean on stage or not, not stage. I mean, in the performance that you're doing, you have to be lean all the time. You're not really having enough energy to create testosterone. And that can then over time drop, especially as you become older and older. So it's 
it's not actually uncommon for all the men. I have a client that's 71. He is getting his morning wood back. He's having amazing sex life and energy because he is eating enough calories. He's eating enough micronutrients to support uh, sterogenesis. So if you do the right diet and lifestyle, that testosterone can come back up. And there's many testimonies of people that having 600, 700, maybe even up to 800 levels into their 60s and 70s, just if they do their diet and lifestyle uh, correctly. So that's why I'm kind of like thinking, you know, the libido might have tanked a little bit. Was there something that happened around those times that you experienced that it tanked a little bit um, that maybe correlated with stress specifically? Hmm. No, pro- probably at, at 42, that one would have been stress related. Um, but I'm a high stress guy anyways. So <laughs> what, what was your, your main stress basically when you were still, that, that was your main job? Um, well, I mean, there's, there's, you're just in the business in general. Um, there's a lot of stress that goes on because, you know, at the time, I wasn't just an actor. I was also, um, uh, I had a, my own company, so I was running uh, production. And so that was very stressful, you know, on all aspects of production from creating to selling to doing everything. So it was, uh, it was, it was a lot of work. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. Having your own business is pretty stressful for sure. So have your job, uh, not the job job, but like, um, like the porno industry, like actually, um, <laughs> wow, do work this correctly. Having intercourse with women, did that ever start to feel like a job to you? Well, it does, but that's always the way it is. I mean, you have to sort of understand what's interesting about um, about any sort of career that you do. As soon as you're doing it professionally, it does become a job. Now, you can love your job but it does become a job. You know, there's, there's the kid that was playing hockey on the, on the pond, on the rink. Once he's in the NHL, it's a different ball game. Right. And, and usually the ones that make it to the NHL, they also treat it like a job. That's how they got there. So there's no way to take it away from, from it being a job because you, you're trying to be as professional as possible and you're doing things that are relatively superhuman from the perspective of, you know, you're not getting a hard on when you want to, you're getting a hard on when you're told to. And that, that requires getting into a whole different mindset. Right. And that's what I, what I talk about with a lot of my clients, because, you know, you, you do have to understand that there's an agency that you have as a man that you can tap into to sort of will yourself to do a lot of things. Right. So you, because a lot of times guys, you know, one of their breakdowns is they feel like they don't have control and it's like, well, you, you do, you just have to realize that you do. And there's all these different ways that you can obtain the hard on and that you aren't fundamentally broken. You know, it's one thing I talk about um, in my book where I talk about the, you know, the, the two different types of hard ons. And, you know, one thing that I noticed, you know, especially when you're in the business is you know, one of them, well, it's great. It's completely unreliable and unrepeatable. Whereas the other one you can call on at any moment. And for all us that are actors, um, if we were just relying on what I call the, the, the psych, you know, psychological hard on or the mentally created hard on, you know, we'd have a job for all of probably two days, not, you know, 20 years. <clears throat> so how do you build that mindset to, to get him up uh, at will, like you must. So how do you 
cultivate that mindset? Well, it's a bunch of things. I mean, first, you know, what I, what I talk about a lot is you, you got to know what your default state is. Um, and I always think the default state is really key because that's the, that's the truest sense of you. And what do I mean by default state? Well, one thing I have my clients go through is I, I have a whole, you know, sort of mapping system of, okay, well, wh- where, where's your penis at? Like, and if you were just alone by yourself in a room, you know, and you could, you could be in your thoughts or you could have some porn or whatever, but it's like, if you were by yourself and there was no distractions and there was nothing that would produce any anxiety, how does your penis function? right? Like, let's give it an honest grade. How long does it take to get hard? How long does it stay hard? You know, what's the quality of it? How hard, how soft is it spongy? Or is it like a piece of steel? You know, what are these metrics that we can measure, right? Because then when you've got those and you understand, okay, this is, this is what happened. Well, now you have to understand that is the real you. And so anything that's not that, that happens when you're in some sort of sexual situation, well, that's a one-off that could be any other factor, but it's not fundamentally you and it's not you being broken. And so it becomes almost like the metaphorical cookie jar that you can reach into when things are going tough. Like you have to be able to go back and say, okay, like, well, well, how do, how are things normally? Okay. So that's not what's happening right now. Okay. So what can I do and where can I put my focus in the moment right now to change things? I'm not going to be sweating what's going on because there's nothing wrong with me. Right. And so there becomes this, this, shift and like, okay, well, what can I do right now? And what I often I'll have guys do, it's like, well, what you need to be focusing on really is you need to be focusing on the sensations. Because again, if, if we're not having a mentally created hard on, we need to create a physical one. And so that means, well, okay, now let's use maneuvers of consciousness and let's use our focus to just solely focus on purely the good feeling sensations that we can. And totally put our mind on that and give 100% focus to that because we don't want our mind drifting to think about anything. You know, I, I often will use um, a workout analogy that I find is actually really useful, especially if anybody's ever been a gym rat, right? It's like, you know, I can imagine probably at some point you've squatted a ton of weight on your back. You look like the, that kind of guy, right? Or, or even bench press. And it's like, well, you know, you got, let's just say you got 300 pounds on your back. Well, are you thinking about what's for dinner that night? No, like it's not even possible. Like, like there's no, like, it's, it's almost like being in the ultimate meditative state. Like you are just solely focused on, if I don't move this, I'm going to be crushed and die. So I'm moving this weight. Right. And you have to bring that same shift to what you're doing in the bedroom, you know? So instead of, you know, eating a girl's pussy and be thinking about, Oh, you know, does she like me? Does she not like me? Is she liking this? No, no, no. You need to be focused on what are you feeling with that? And that's it. And it needs to be 100% dedicated focus to what you're feeling. Because when you, when you can use your body and feel what the clit is doing, the clit's going to tell you everything that's working or not, but it's all about that hundred percent dedicated focus. Same thing. Like if you were to dedicate 100% focus to lifting the, you know, that bench press or squatting those squats instead of, you know, wandering your mind around things that don't matter. You know, the only thing is when, you when you're in the gym, the, the enormity of the situation being that you will be personally injured, keeps you focused, but you can get that same kind of focus. You know, it's the same thing. Like if you've ever done um, any type of meditation, right? Like if you, if you're just following your breath and you're constantly doing that, I mean, at some point, yeah, your mind, your mind might wander, And then what do they always tell you to do? Bring it back to center. 
You know, if we wander for a second, hey, bring it right back. And you're going to be doing the same thing when you're in the sexual space. You just want to, if you wander, you know, bring it right back and focus on what we are doing, not what we're thinking. Because you, you can't, you can't think your way through sex. You can do sex. You can be sex, but you can't think sex. So the thinking never serves you because, you know, you're, you're, you need to be in the moment. You need to be enjoying the moment and the sensations. And thinking what happened in the past or thinking what's going to happen in the future is not helping you deal with the woman in front of you in the present. I really like that. Uh, I can make another analogy is that I should mention if you're squatting a lot of weight and it's a one rep max, you have to be right there. But let's say you're squatting 50% if you're one rep max, your mind can wander a bit. It's still heavy, but you can lift it for multiple reps. So I think like, um, or even let's say you're doing bodybuilding. A lot of people, they just lift the weight. Now, it's kind of like a mindless activity. And they wonder why they don't build muscle. But if you really like focus and squeeze the muscle every part of the way, so that is difficult. People don't do that because it's so difficult. So what you're talking about is that you have to get yourself focused, but people really don't succeed 100% in that because that can be difficult. It's almost like a meditative state where your mind can wander back to yourself, but you have to keep it focused there. So it, it can be hard to do that. Keep yourself really focused. Yeah. So my next question to you is, you mentioned something interesting in your book is that you never used Viagra and you never will. And mm -hmm. you said a lot of guys uh, do, and you've seen all the side effects. And one of the questions that I have is that research basically says that people don't build a tolerance to Viagra. What have you seen in the industry with that? That's total bullshit. That is total bullshit. I can tell you that from boots on the ground experience. I mean, it's, it's laughable how many guys I've seen take a lot of that stuff and be completely woodless. So it's, it's, it is not the panacea that the pharmaceutical industry likes to sell you. Um, and then of course, I've, I've also known guys that have gone to the hospital because, you know, they, they, it, it wouldn't go down after doing that as well. Yeah. So I've seen guys that have suffered from both instances of, you know, let's call it what it is abusing those drugs um, and you know, what, what I always found was fascinating was again, even with those pharmaceuticals, you know, and I'm, and I'm talking about, um, Viagra, Cialis, those, because, you know, you, you have the further extension that guys have gone to now where they'll do, um, injections. And that's another level because that, that until your body rejects it, that will work, you know, a hundred percent of the time. But I always did find it fascinating that your mind is so, it's just way more important than, than pharmacology because you'd have these guys that their mind is totally stressed out. They're ridden with anxiety. They can't shut off their mind and they're, they're not, they have never had to even grease that pathway. So they take the medications and the medications don't work. They are, they are just, you know, now they just look beet red, like a tomato, like they're going <laughs> to die, but they're still woodless, yeah. you know? So, um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting that, that, um, they would say there's no tolerance because I've definitely seen the guys where they start with a little bit and then they're taking more and they're taking more and then they're taking a whole bunch and it becomes, um, harder on the psychology that I've seen because, you know, let's, let's take it from if you were just struggling naturally, well, you can think, okay, well, I'm, I'm struggling, you know, to get an erection. That's one thing. 
Well, it's a whole nother thing. If you're still struggling and you've just dropped a hundred milligrams of a drug that is supposed to get you hard. I mean, to me, that seems like that's more debilitating from a psychological standpoint, because now you're going to have guys where they're saying, well, not only am I broken, but you know, the, the, the best drugs in the world can't help me. Yeah. And it's like, well, no, let you, you got to bring it back to what, why are you having this anxiety and how can we focus your, focus what you're doing, focus your mind, focus um, what you're paying attention to focus your sensations. How can we be focusing this so that you can get an erection instead of, you know, I know it's cliche, but taking the easy way out and then not having to focus your mind at all. Yeah, the mind is extremely important. I'm really glad we're talking about this. And I think it would, uh, the podcast would be too long if we have to talk all about that because you do a really good job in the book talking about that. So I would just encourage everyone to get the book and read it because it's all laid out there. Uh, I think just becoming aware that your mind is that strong can be really helpful for people. But what are the, the, the major side effects that you've seen from those drugs? Because uh, the research says basically it's, it's flushing, headache, you know, uh, mild side effects what are have you ever seen like major side effects from those drugs yeah i mean the, the major one that i've seen is the guys that have to go to the hospital because it because it doesn't go down um that would probably be the 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 biggest side effect that i've seen um the guys have dealt with um as to other you know health side effects you know i i don't know and I'm, you know i think maybe we won't know for for years until somebody maybe does long-term studies because you know, I mean, not to be a conspiracy therapist or anything, but the FDA does like to approve things, you know, for monetary reasons that, of course, later on will turn around and they'll say, oh, 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 I guess that wasn't that good for you. So I'm I always come at things from a holistic perspective as much as possible. And it's like, OK, how can I, you know, just with supplements, with food, with diet, with mindset, how can I heal myself and how can I, you know, make myself better? Um, rather than just, you know, relying on, well, what have they whipped up in, in a chemistry lab somewhere that's supposed to help us? Yeah. So you mentioned uh, the Red Bull community, which I'm happy you are familiar with. So especially like Rolo Tomasis, I've read his books before, and he talks a lot about like more, he focuses a lot of, on the psychology more than anything else, uh, at least from his books that I perceive. And he focuses on, you know, you should uh, go from a beta, to an alpha because that's going to attract a woman to you and then so what's your opinion on going from a beta and alpha have you ever like perceived there is a difference like that and you know what's that difference in your opinion yeah well you know what's 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 so funny about that stuff because i've read all his books well i've read three of them um and i i do agree with with a lot of tenants that he talks about i don't agree with everything fully but i do agree with with definitely parts of the things that he mentions and um, yeah, it's, it's really interesting because those terms beta and alpha, they get banded about, but it's, it's really tough to qualify what they are because they also change in certain circumstances too, right? So it's, you know, perfect example, like um, if we looked at Bill Gates, right? probably nobody out there is thinking like, Hey, Bill Gates is alpha, right? Yeah. Except if you're at a computer show. Yeah. 
I mean, who's the alpha dog at the computer show? Fucking Bill Gates, right? So, you know, there, so there's the, well, what's alpha, you know, on a, you know, big generalized scale, but then it's like, well, we have people that become alpha and beta depending on their zones of genius and where they're at too, and the people that they interact with. So while I do agree, if we're looking at it from a women's sexual preference, that I've definitely seen, especially through, through the lens of the porno industry, I do see where a lot of what Rolo talks about does map very well, because you know, I, I have seen where what women will like sexually um, versus what they want from a provider role tend to be very different things. And, and I think, you know, I, I can see where women are definitely trying to maximize both of those. And it does depend what state of their life they're in. But I know from my own experience and what I've seen is that you know, if you have elite level sexual skills from that sort of, um, sort of, you know, I mean, if we, if they talk about it in the terms of alpha fucks, beta bucks, but if you can deliver that sort of sexual experience to a woman, it, it is, um, it is almost a soft, soft form of power because the ability to give someone, especially a woman orgasms on command really does separate you from the masses of men out there in their eyes. And I've, I've seen the power of that firsthand with myself, right? Where, you know, you'd be surprised what a woman will do for you if you can do that for her. So I always tell guys, I say, you know what? I mean, the competition is really soft out there um, because even, even guys that can be alpha in so many ways can then be beta in the bedroom, can be horrible, you know? And I've seen that a lot where you get the, the false confidence because again, how do you define confidence? Is it the confidence, you know, you, cause I've known these guys where they could go up to any woman and talk to them, blah, blah, blah. They get to the bedroom, total performance anxiety. So, okay. So you're confident in one area, but then as soon as it goes sexual, now we're not confident at all. And so then what are you sub communicating to the woman in that space? So, yeah, it's really interesting to sort of define like, well, what is alpha? What is beta? But I do agree with what Rolo says in general that, you know, you, you will have these sort of avatars that women are trying to look for and definitely ways of being that they gravitate to. And I think actually um, one of the best books, it gets a little, a little woo woo, but I find the, the message behind it really salient is um, the way of the superior man by David data. If you've ever read that. I have not, um, I will make a note. Oh yeah. I mean, if, if you think about um, sort of, how men should be operating it's probably other than it is a little woo woo in language it's it's definitely one of the best guides because it really does show you that your your mission your purpose and and the things and the ways in which you interact with women matter about your attraction which is you know in a lot of ways what the red pill community sort of goes into but i find um, ways where the superior man really, really codifies it in a very nice way. I will check that one out. So that was exactly going to be my next question, talking about your skills in the bedroom. So let's not jump the question just yet, jump the gun just yet. Um, I want to ask you, what is your perspective of alpha traits? Because I don't see someone he is just all the time an alpha, as you know, but he has certain traits that make him alpha. So maybe like three to five things. 
what would be your on your list? Mm, I think, I think boldness, I think uh, decisiveness, um, I think uh, calm, um, a confidence that is quiet and self-assured. Um, I remember uh, there was a, a guy I used to train with a while uh, and he was one of the top uh, Russian Sistema practitioners in the world. Great guy. And I mean, this guy was without a doubt the the most insane badass I've ever seen with martial arts. I mean, he could kill anybody. He's brutal. And he's got a British accent. And when you meet him at a party, he's the nicest, quietest little guy. Like, no, I mean, I brought him to a party before and it was like, nobody realizes the person you should be absolutely fucking fearful of is Martin in the back room. They're sipping his fucking martini. Right? <laughs> and that, and that, and, and that kind of really brought something to my attention. It's like, you know, in, in, in whatever world that we are in, you know, the, the people who are super skilled and super confident, they don't talk about it. They're just, they're just being it. Right. So I think that kind of is, is kind of a big piece of it too. Like where, where in your life are you just, you know, embodying and being who you are, not trying to be somebody, you know, because when you're, when you're really confident and you have the skill sets, people just know that you do. Yeah, yes, it's that soft portraying uh, of your confidence. That's very nice. Yeah, you don't have to shout out from the rooftops. So, so let's dive into that question about the elite skills in the bedroom because I feel like, and Rolo talked about this as well, is that for some women, sex feels more like a obligation that they have to drip feed their man than out of raw desire. So Rolo says that's because the man is paid and she's not attracted to him. But then it comes back like, does he just suck in the bedroom? Or is it because his, his personality is too beta? So what's your opinion on that? Mm, I think at least if I, if I look back at, at um, what I've seen through my lens, especially with my lens of the porn industry, I would say it's, it's more about lack of skills. Because it doesn't matter how alpha you are. You know, if you suck, you suck. And, you know, if we're looking at, sex from the standpoint of, you know, well, why are we doing sex? Well, it's either we're maximizing pleasure or we're maximizing procreation, right? Now, if you're just maximizing procreation and then we're doing it, you're just doing a service. So if we're going to, if we're going to enter into this space where you want her to have the genuine raw desire for you, she needs to be getting off. Like she's not going to, she's going to be interested in doing it for you because she idolizes you or something only for so long until she's getting something something real tangible out of it and and if you really want to turn on that desire well you're going to turn on the desire because you can give her what no other guy can and that's sort of where the where the where the rubber meets the road in that respect so when i think about like genuine raw desire well that's that's totally created by the guy but that's created by your skill sets um you can't get around that because like I said, if you want the girl to always want to be sleeping with you nonstop, she has to be getting something out of it because otherwise, well, now she's just doing it as a performative act and that'll get old and tired really quick. Yeah. I must say that you look really sharp and I feel completely underdressed as of right now. Uh, but, back, <laughs> but back to the questions, um, 
I would say that you can perceive someone as an alpha, but he doesn't have a lot of skills in the bedroom. But have you ever seen someone that is skilled in the bedroom, but not confident in real life? Yeah, I mean, you can see that too. Um, I think it's less often. Um, and I, I'd say it's probably less often just because, well, you for you to become skilled, you need to have access or you need to have information. <clears throat> sort of one or the other, right? Um, you either have to have the right information or you have to have a lot of experience to get the information. Um, and that's sort of what what my mission and goal has been because you know, when I look at my journey, you know, it's not the kind of journey everybody wants to go through or nor should they, right? Like to, to sleep with that many women over that amount of time, it has its positives and it has its negatives. But my goal now is like, well, okay, how can I take all that learning? Because it's, it's just, it's a type of learning. I don't fundamentally believe you could access any other way. And how do you take that learning and deliver it to guys so that you know, for the guy that just meets his high school sweetheart, and this is all that he wants, well, how can he get as close to having that same level of skills and those skill sets as the guy that, you know, slept with every cheerleader at the high school, right? Like, how do we give them sort of an even playing field? Um, if somebody wants to have just a, a very monogamous, you know, one-on-one -on -one sort of relationship versus having, you know, some crazy wild, you know, polyamorous, whatever they want. Um, so, yeah, I think for guys, yes, they should um, learn as much and get as much experience because usually, you know, if they're, if they're alpha, then they do have that experience and they're normally confident because they've had access and that's where sort of all of it comes from, right? So, but uh, yeah, I'm sure you could also find some guys that have, have got the skills, but may not be that confident in displaying them outwardly outside of the bedroom. I've talked to a few guys that said that the more they slept with women, the less likely they were to uh, be in love with them. So let's say the first girl they were really in love with, and then they sleep with a bunch of girls, and then they finally find the one, that one-nighters from Rolo, um, they find the one they want to settle down with, but they don't ever feel like that same in love with anymore. Like, have you ever experienced that? Talk to people that experience the same stuff? Yeah. And you know what's interesting, and this is something that I that I think is the the detrimental side to that, um, because I've, I've talked in a number of lectures where I talk about you know ignorance is bliss, and I think really you're only left with two options, and I'm not saying either option is better than the other, but you know you have option one where you never sleep with anybody other than whoever you marry or your first love. And that's it. And, and there's a benefit to that because there's no comparison. You will never compare against anything because there's nothing to compare to. So therefore I've known, known some of those people and they say they're the sex is the best in their lives. Cause it's all they know. Right. So if there's no comparison, yeah, from your perspective, this is awesome. And, and, and so not only are they in those feelings of that, you know, sort of, you know, first time love experience, but then their, their, their vision and their perspective on sex is much different as well. Or you have somebody who's, you know, slept with more people. Now you're comparing and you can say, okay, well, uh, you know, 
not even subjectively, objectively, this person was better than this. And here's why those are some things that I, that I talk about in the book. Um, but from my perspective, once you've slept with more than one person, well, now comparison is always going to exist. So at that point, I think you should, since you're already comparing, you should really start to understand yourself and understand really fundamentally what, what you like, what your penis likes and, and what feels good specifically for you. Cause it does differ, you know, from person to person, you know, I talked about in my book where I talk about the four different types of pussies and I've been in those experiences where you know, my, my, my business partner would tell me, Oh my God, you, you, you must sleep with this girl. She's the most amazing of all time. And then I did. And I was like, eh, what's he talking about? And that's where I started to really, you know, break down. Well, what are, what are all the differences I'm seeing with all these women and, and come to a conclusion as to, you know, if we're going to put, put types out there, these are the four types of vaginas that exist. And then none is better than another, but you are going to start seeing patterns of what work and feel good for you. And once you notice those, well, now you can start moving ahead with some agency in life because, you know, you can, you can now see, well, okay, this, this person, you know, we, we can check off the personality. We can check off whatever factors. Oh, and we can check off this, that now I know the, the sex is going to be good and it's going to work for me because a lot of times what I see is guys get in relationships and they're used to this cliche sort of trope that, that sex is all based on communication and communication cannot trump biology. And people forget that there's a biological component. They like to think, well, it's all the same. You know, there's, there's no amount of me communicating to you, Hans, that is going to make me a seven foot five basketball player. We can communicate here till the cows come home, right? And, and that's not going to happen. So I can't communicate my way out of biology. So the, when I look at the lens of sex and sexual satisfaction for guys, you know, biology is, is your base level. Like your biology has to match with the other person. If that's not there, then nothing else is going to help. It was quite interesting that you talked about that, all of those differences and how many couples do you think that, for example, hadn't had a lot of experiences with different women, for example, in their relationship, uh, they don't know about that difference. So for example, it might be, this is, this is kind of like a weird question to ask that I don't know exactly how to phrase, but um, they might not be exactly uh, exact fit for each other, but because they don't know what's better. Um, they think it's amazing. Do you think that's like ever happening out there? Oh, I think that's happening a lot. And I think, I think that's why you've got a lot of um, frustration in relationships because again, there, there will be a biological um, impediment that they're unaware of. And so they don't see it that way though, because they think that there's no difference in biology. So therefore they are left with, well, we just need to communicate better. We need to do this. We need to do that, but they're still unsatisfied at the end of the day. And when you're unsatisfied, that's when people are more likely going to say, you know what? Ooh, look at that. Look at that guy over there. Look at that girl over there. Like maybe I'll, you know, when my wife's not looking, when my husband's not looking, I'll get a number. I'll do this. You know, everybody starts cheating around because they, they feel internally something is missing, but they, they don't know what it is, right? Because something in their home isn't good. So you need to really understand what you like. And that's why I always bring it back to, you know, know what you like, because at least when you know what you like, you can be satisfied 
right? And if you're satisfied, then it's unlikely that you're going to be suddenly running off because you can, without a doubt, say, okay, I'm, I'm very happy in my decision that I've made here. Uh, and, and that's my decision. I'm going to stick with where I am. I'm not going to be looking over there and looking over there and looking everywhere because I know that, that from a sensory feeling um, sexual perspective, I'm very happy with where I'm at. I think knowledge is power. And like, if men become educated with their differences and, oh, this is why our sex life isn't as great, um, you know, they can understand. And, but then it's like, okay, now we're married for 10 years. And now I learned this. And it's like, oh, we're doomed. Like, this is the woman of my life of, of, uh, that I love so much. But this thing here is making it so uncomfortable. And this has been such a massive frustration in our relationship. And you can't out communicate that. Like, is there any like a way people can solve this? Well, I mean, from, from my own experience, um, and this is, this is something that I learned um, early on, and I've gone through this a couple of times where uh, I was in a relationship where like check all the boxes, except when we got down to that one. And, you know, this is, this is going back almost 15, 20 years now where I too thought, oh, it, it, it has to get better. It has to get better. And now that I understand the biological piece of it, I, I understand that, hey, this is something that I value in my relationship. They can't give it to me. Therefore, I'd much rather leave this relationship so that they can be happy and so that I can be happy. I'm not going to sit and, and you know, keep trying to you know, metaphorically put a you know, square peg in a round hole because it just yeah. doesn't work. And people have to, they have to understand and accept that. And I think that's a big piece. People don't want to necessarily accept that. That's why it always comes back to, well, we can fix it with communication. Again, I can communicate all day long, but I'm not dunking basketballs. So it, 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 it's a reality check that I think people just have to understand. And, and then you know, when they get into a relationship, if, if they find that these impediments exist, okay, then maybe this isn't the person for you. So we have been going for about an hour now. Are you good to go a little bit longer still? Yeah. Okay, awesome. So let's talk about porn and specifically, uh, let's say, you know, people using that as a tool to educate themselves. Um, you know, real life and porn is a big difference. What's your opinion on guys educating themselves with that? Well, I mean, so my first thing is porn is not meant for education. Porn is meant as like a, a, a visual media. So one of the things that I often tell guys is, look, you can't just copy everything that you see in porno because I'm in porno and I know a lot of the things that we do, we hate doing. So this is the thing that people don't necessarily understand, right? There are, there are certain positions that we'll do only because they have maximum visual impact. But literally before the cameras are rolling, me and me and the girl are looking at each other and she's like, are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay, let's do this. Yeah, let's do this. Okay, action. Yay. And then there we go. Right. Um, but it's painful as hell for both of us from that perspective. Like neither one of us wants to be doing it. But again, it looks amazing as a visual perspective on camera. So there, there needs to be a certain grain of sand taken with everything that guys see in porno. 
Um, because if they just go out there and they see porno and they want to copy it, you know, well, that doesn't translate to something that's going to feel good in the bedroom. You know, the other side though, is, you know, there's always that sort of discussion where people say, well, porn isn't real life. Well, it isn't, it isn't, it's all, it's, it's this blend, right? Because, you know, we could watch, um, we could watch, I don't know, the, the newest Schwarzenegger movie and we can say, Hey, that's not real life. Right. But we can watch the Super Bowl and say, that's, um, you know, what they're doing is almost unreal, but they are really doing it right. They're doing something at a high level, um, that not many of us could do, but they are really doing it in porn is something more that, that, that is more on that side of the equation because what we're doing is really happening. So it's not that we're necessarily filmmaking as, as much as we're creating a live docudrama. So people have to take the, the fact that, okay, uh, they are really doing this and also have the awareness that, Hey, you know what? I can throw a football too, but I can't throw it like Tom Brady. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm five foot 10. I'm not going to be catching a, catching a, a, a football like, like Gronkowski. So there is that piece where you have to sit back and say, okay, like what, what, what can I do, you know, with my skills and understand that not everything that they are doing is something that we should be doing because they're doing it because they're getting paid. Um, not because they think it's going to feel the best. Can you talk about, um, bedroom leadership i really like that you talked about that in your book so what can men like expect what what should they be expecting well so the first thing that i think about bedroom leadership it's like i like to preface it by saying if you were to look at the woman like a canvas right and then from that perspective say okay well what do i want to paint tonight because one of the problems that i've seen um, and I think this is, it's media driven, but it's also societal, um, is that, you know, guys get very timid in the bedroom, right? You know, they're, they're afraid of ruffling feathers or they're afraid of, you know, escalating or, or coming on too strong. And well, there's the, the side of society that'll say, yes, you know, um, you know, we want consent, 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 consent. That's always the, the, the word. And the thing that you really start to understand is in most cases with most people, consent is covert. It's not overt. So with most women, you know, because I've seen this, you know, if, if you literally were to ask a woman, like every step of the way, may I touch your thigh now? Is it okay to do this? Is, like they get so turned off in an instance because they're like, you should just know what to do. Like, this is the, the whole thing that girls always say, like, you're a real man, you would know what to do, right? Well, what does that entail then? Well, what it really means is, well, okay, we need to take action. We do have to take bold steps. And the key piece is we need to calibrate. And this, I think, where guys get it wrong. You know, they, they, they may have read a book or they may have seen something and they, you know, if they, if they are being bold, they're just plowing ahead without seeing how things land. 
And I think that's where you find guys getting into trouble because, you know, you have to take some steps, but then you got to just sit back and say, okay, well, how was that taken? Right? Like, what is she doing? You know, is that, is that, is she, is she taking it in this welcoming, like, oh, give me more? Or is she looking at you with terror, terror in her eyes saying, what the hell did you just do? Right. And, and that's part of it right there. So you, you do have to lead, you do have to escalate. You got to be bold. Then, you know, you got to understand, well, okay, what is the energy I'm trying to create tonight? Because one of the things that I've seen is, especially from, from the movies, you have a lot of guys that, you know, they've, they've, they've obviously Hollywood is, is a, plays a big role here, but I think it's a very negative role um, because often, you know, guys will see, for example, like basic instinct where the girl, she, she ties the guy up and she's fucking the hell out of him. And I tell them, I say, well, that's fantasy, right? Like, the woman might want you to tie her up and fuck the hell out of her, but she's not, you know, like most women want you to be doing the action in the bedroom, right? Like they, they, they want to be taken. They want to be ravished. They don't want to be, you know, leading you to do everything. They want to be led. It becomes this, what I call student teacher dynamic, right? Where you need to be the teacher and they want to be the student in almost every sexual sphere, I mean, for every, because I've talked to a lot of, a lot of older women about this and for them, they'll, and I've said, well, you know, for the girls, like if they've taken a guy's virginity, how was the experience? Oh, it was cool. One time. Like the, the, the act of, of, you know, taking a guy through and showing him what to do. Hey, that was cool. One time after that, you're like, yeah, I have no interest. I want a guy to show me something. I want the guy to come after me. So that's where I think the, the bedroom leadership piece really starts is you got to say, well, okay, what am I want to, what do I want to create here? What is the energy I want to create? And then I have to put into action to create that, right? Am I trying to create something where, you know, this is a tender loving moment? Am I trying to create something where I want just raw passion? You know, what am I, what, what am I going in there to create? And then go out there and execute that because the one thing that I've seen and this has been my experience because I would get guys that say, well, you know, okay, you've, you fucked some porn girls and, and that must be the greatest sexual experience of all time. And I say, no, they're, they're all the same, like fundamentally, right? Like it could be the librarian or it could be the porn actress. And on the base level, how your energy is, is being projected in the interaction is what you're getting back. You know, so it's the same thing when I was in massage therapy college, before I got into porno, I remember we'd be doing massage on people and how you touch them matters. Because if you were, you know, people would be naked under the sheets and you got to move legs. Well, there's moving a leg like you're terrified or there's moving a leg like, Hey, you know what? Guess what? This is decisive leg here, leg there. Let's go. Right. Sex is the same way in that sense, because you know, if, if, if you're leading somebody and they feel that they can trust you, you're not timid, you know what you're doing, you're self-assured, they're very, very likely to go along with it and say, okay, cool. Like he's putting me somewhere like, let's do this. But if you're trembling, if you're shaking, if you're unsured, well, now that's just communicating to the woman. Well, okay, well, he's not sure of himself. Does he really have experience? Am I going to be taken care of? Does he actually know what he's supposed to do to me? Like, all these sorts of thoughts now are coming into their head and they don't want to be, especially women, they don't want to be thinking, they want to be feeling, they want to be experiencing, you know, they want to just sit back and, 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 you know, have that sort of 
submissiveness and just take what you're bringing. They want your energy to create something. So I think that's sort of, that's my take on the bedroom leadership thing and where guys can, can move the sexual interaction in, in the way that they want to create it because, because their energy is the energy that's going to create it. I like that. So at the beginning of the podcast, you talked about people having performance anxiety and size there, you know, comes a little bit into play, at least in their mind. And then in your book, you talk about size doesn't really matter. It's more so uh, your technique and whatnot. Could you elaborate on that? Yeah. So this is what's interesting too, you know, um, having been in the porn industry as long as I have, you'll have this idea that size is what matters. What matters is what I call the minimum effective dose. And now that minimum effective dose is going to change from woman to woman, right? But there is a minimum that is more than enough to stimulate a woman. You know, and, and I like to say that, you know, if we, if we were to look at basically, I think what is the American, I think the American average man is like 5.1 inches. Yeah, yeah. And I'll say, you know, for most women, you're good to go. I mean, you can do everything with that. Um, now, are there outliers? Sure. There are size queens. They do exist. I know them. I've met them. But they're a tiny minority. Um, you know, so the problem that guys have or where they get their, their, their mindset wrong is they think because of whether it's porno or, you know, the whole competitiveness of the locker room, because I remember that. I mean, I was in grade 11 and somewhere in biology class, guys were talking about dick sizes, right? Oh my God. Like everybody was like, oh yeah, I'm packing eight inches. Oh, eight. I got nine over here. I'm like, oh, I got 10. I mean, I'm like, where are you measuring from your asshole? Come on. I'm, I, you know, and now having been in porn for as long as I have, I mean, I've, I've seen real sizes, right? It's like, you guys are insane right? Like I'm suddenly I was in the biology class where everybody was bigger than the top porn guys. Right. <laughs> so, so there's this innate competitiveness that guys have amongst each other with that, right. Where they, they get so hyper-focused on, on the size issue, but you'll see lots of girls that, you know, especially when you're in the porn business, like, you know, especially when you get the really like monster guys, the girls don't even like fucking them because it's too painful. You know, they can't enjoy it. And and for some of those guys, it's not even enjoyable either because they can't can't penetrate the full way. They can only penetrate like half or, you know. So when you see it through the lens of the actuality of it, you're like, okay, this, this doesn't really matter so much, right? It's because the, the bigger the guy does not mean the greater skill set. And so I'll, I'll often use an analogy like let's just look at UFC. Go, go, go to the early UFC 1, UFC 2. You have these guys like... 300 pound bodybuilder guy, what did Hoist Gracie do? Chokes him out in two seconds, right? Because he's got the, he's got the technique and the skill. So you st still, at the end of the day, the technique and the skill matters massively more than the size. Now, if you can combine the two in a right ratio, okay, then you're a unicorn. But you know, if, I, if, you, if you were thinking about, well, I'm just gonna go from the lens of getting women off, what would matter more, size or technique? Technique all day long. I really like what you mentioned about the um, setting the expectation in the bedroom. Um, so, you know, a lot of men get that anxiety because they have on themselves a certain level of expectation and that creates that, you know, ED. 
Um, so set an expectation and then you have kind of like things that you want to do to kind of crush that uh, expectation. So what's your uh, take on that? Well, you know, one of the things is when you're dealing with something that might be anxiety producing, this is where I like to try to create a positive feedback loop in my brain as fast as possible. Right. And, and I talk about this in the book where I talk about the hint of blood phenomenon. And when I started using that and, you know, the, the greatest, um, the greatest sexual, let's call it feet that I ever pulled off, um, involved using that in its utmost capacity, because I, uh, I had sex in the town square of Budapest at high noon with police across the street watching. And this has been all dedicated to film. So if anybody cares to look it up, they can. Um, and I knew I was scared shitless. I knew there was no way I could get a hard on in this environment unless I was able to calm my, my nerves, calm my neurology and create a positive feedback loop in my brain that, of belief. And so that's one of the things like if you can start to get that first 20, 30% of blood flow going, you know, through the art of, of skilled jerking off and, and create that, you know, get into your sensations and create just a little bit of blood flow with that physically created heart on, because as soon as you just get even 10, 20% of blood flow, like it just gets going. Suddenly there's a shift in the way that your brain thinks. And it goes from, from, I can't do this to, oh, everything works. Whew. Right. And that's all you need because you just need that, that, that belief. And that seed of belief that it's going to be okay. Yeah, yeah. I like that. So I'm going to take a left heart turn here. I'm going to switch yeah. over to premature ejaculation. So, uh -huh. and all honestly, if I have to talk a little bit about myself, I thought that I had really pathetic endurance. But after reading your book, I found out like, well, I think we're a perfect match. And that is actually what's inducing this, uh, you know, <laughs> pathetic endurance. Uh, but obviously, if you talk about a variety of different uh, things that you can do to help with a premature ejaculation, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying I have premature ejaculation because some people's like a few seconds. I'm, I'm not like that extreme, although it feels like that. But anyway, um, so, so what are a few tips that can help men with uh, premature ejaculation? Well, so when, when I work with clients, I break things into essentially two categories, right? So on one side, there are what I term, you know, the the, the, the long-term ways of, you know, altering your neurology. And that involves typically uh, penis exercises, uh, conscious masturbation, and then something that I call maneuvers of consciousness, which I find can be useful when you, when you understand it and you apply it, because that was a, a epiphany that I had about, about five years ago um, and realized that, that moving your conscious awareness could impact your ability to, to want to come or to stave it off as well. So those are those, you know, more long-term fixes. And then there's what I call the dirty biohacks, which are in the moment things that you can do to give yourself some respite, give yourself another, another 30 seconds, another minute, like, and because those minutes build on themselves. And one of the things that I really noticed when I was an actor and when I started looking back at all the years of being an actor and, you know, it's not just me acting, like I've seen, you know, 
for a straight guy, I've seen way too many dicks, right? So, so I see how these other top level actors, I see the struggles that they go through as well. And there's no actor alive that has not had a sensitive day. So it's like, okay, well, how, how are, how is this presenting itself? And then how are we dealing with it when it presents itself? And one of the things that I consistently noticed was something that I ended up calling the five minute marker, because you would have guys that would be super sensitive, you know, and you, and you imagine the pressure of that, you know, it's like you go into a scene and maybe 30 seconds, one minute into the scene, you feel like you're going to have an orgasm. And then suddenly you have to sit there and be like, okay, I got another 59 minutes to go. I better figure this out really quick, right? Like, because it's not just, hey, you know, the, the wife will be maybe a little upset if I, if I come too early, but yeah, we can go later. It's like, no, 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 I'm owned here. Um, this entire crew, all the money, everything is on the line just about me, right? And if I don't figure out how to control this, this, this whole day is, is going to be a disaster. So you're sitting there and it's like, okay, well, okay, now what can I do? And this was one of the things that I noticed. If a guy could make it to that five minutes, well, now you would start to desensitize enough that you, you could really get some agency and you start to, you know, get, be able to control the reins of the beast, so to speak. So it really became, well, let's not think about that we need to last 30 minutes or 40 minutes or whatever. Let's last five. Let's get from that 0.01 second of penetration to five minutes. Because once we get to five minutes, there's a high likelihood that now we can start controlling what we're doing. So that's where I'll have guys employ the dirty biohacks because, you know, if they're sensitive, well, let's keep moving things forward towards five minutes so that hopefully by that time now we've desensitized enough that now we can start to, you know, start to maneuver without being at a, at a 9.5 level of excitement, you know, because ideally in a perfect world, we, we, we want to stay around a seven because I've worked with some guys where they go so far to the other range that now they have problems ejaculating because they're, they're spending, you know, their whole sexual life in a two. Right. And then, you know, suddenly it's like, Hey, your wife is like, Hey, okay, time to hurry up. And they're like, they are so far from being able to come that, that, that it can't even happen. One of the the tricks you mentioned was pain. Um, I haven't Mm -hmm. experiment experimented that one yet. Uh, I probably will if I feel the need to. Um, But one of the tricks you also mentioned is that you should take your focus away from yourself. You should focus on the other person. But immediately I thought about it that um, you talked about, you know, you should focus on the woman to get hard on. Because if you really focus and you experience her, that's going to be arousing and you're going to come up, right? So my dilemma is that if I feel close and I have to focus even more on my wife, that's going to be like a, like a, you know, that's going to be the killer there. Um, no, that's the wrong word. Like, um, that is going to snap it. You know what I mean? It's like, that's going to be so much arousing. It's just going to happen. So that up to me is like, I can't see, focus. What on it her. is, is you're, you, you, you want to focus on what you're doing to her. So it's, it's one, one exercise that I like to, um, I like to put people through and actually we could do it right now, even if you want. Um, I don't know what kind of space you have here, but I would say like, you know, just, just, just walk for five feet and walk back. 
yeah so what do you mean like right now or like when you in the yeah, yeah 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 if, if, if you just if you just walked for five feet and sacked back down and then i would ask you a question okay i'm curious yeah it's an experiment Beat me. Awesome. How was that? Um, refreshing. <laughs> did you feel your right big toe? I did not. <laughs> now imagine that you walked that and your whole focus was on your right big toe the whole time. Yeah, I would definitely be aware of it. So now replace right big toe with your penis and realize that we can be feeling it in its entirety or we cannot. And that's something that I talk about, which I call maneuvers of consciousness. So it's this difference of, well, where is, you know, because most guys, all their conscious attention is right there, but realize we can also take the conscious awareness away because we do it all the time with things that we're doing. Right. And so one of the things that I teach guys and I take them through an exercise is learning to now move that conscious awareness throughout their entire body. Because like I said, we do it naturally when we're walking, right? Nobody's like, oh, I was feeling my big right toe. But if you walk and you're just focused on the big right toe, it is there every step of the way. So now we understand that, you know, this same principle does apply to our penis. It's no different. It's just that it's the opposite. Most of us were sitting there and that's all we're feeling. And then realize, well, we can actually remove that feeling. And it's not like we're not feeling it, but it goes from a nine. We can bring it down to like a six, like it's there, but it's kind of in the background. And so that's one of the things that, that I work with guys at, like, because more guys are so focused on all the feeling is there. And so when I say, you know, you, you want to be feeling, feeling into a woman or feeling what you're doing, it's, well, how do we take that conscious awareness from just being in your dick to other areas of your body so that that becomes a little bit of a muted experience, just like if you're just walking normally and you're not feeling your right big toe, but it's there. Yeah. Okay. Now I understand. Okay. So. Um, let's say, for example, because I can imagine people want to shift their attention to something else. So let's say they are busy and then they actually do focus on their big toe, but now they're kind of like missing out on the experience. So if you, that's what you mentioned about your focus on the other person. It's like, you can always like touch the person and focus on the fingers and the experience that you're having. So you still take the focus away from the dick. Yeah. And the, and the focus can be completely on the pleasure that you're creating in them. It can be, you know, so it's like, if you, if you are, if you are having sex with the woman, well, your focus can be on your penis or the focus could be on your pubic bone contacting the clit and you're trying to make her have an orgasm. That is two completely different perspectives of focus. One again is, is going to narrow your focus much in a way. Like if you were, you know, lifting the bench press where it's like, okay, we're, we're sending all our focus into the, into one place. And it's a totally different experience as to what you will have sensationally. I will have to try that. Um, yeah, because it's definitely much more focused. I get what you mean. That's pretty good. That, this is all good tricks. All right. So any supplements? I, yeah, I wanted to ask you about like those numbing creams. Have you ever tried like a numbing cream before? No. No. I mean, because here's why I don't think those are useful. Um, Again, then we're not, we're not really having control over something, right? So now maybe do we numb something so much that we can't have an ejaculation? You know, this, this is one of the things that you'll see um, with people that are on SSRIs, 
right? Now that's not a numbing cream, but it's still in some ways, you know, preventing guys from being able to have an orgasm. So now it's like, now you're caught in the conundrum where, okay, I can last forever, but now I can't have an orgasm. Well, that's not fun, right? So I'd much rather say, and, and the other thing that, that I've noticed too, if you're so far removed from the experience of the orgasm, sex is no longer fun because there's, there's a certain je ne sais quoi, if you will, like where you're, you know, you're super excited and it's that first penetration. You're like, Ooh, Ooh, Oh God, I'm, I'm, I'm on edge. Like, cause it feels so good. Right. So it's like, well, that's why what I like to teach guys is like, how can we stay in that seven zone? Like, how can we stay where we're on edge, but we never fall over? Because if we can just ride that edge of the sexual desire, well, now we're, we're super engaged to have sex, right? So our passion is engaged. Everything about us is really engaged. But we know judiciously where to put the brakes on certain things. And, and yeah. when, when you really start to learn how to do it, you learn, okay, well, in every moment, I've got my tools in my sexual toolbox. And in every moment, where do I, where do I need to put the next tool? So maybe in this instance, okay, I'm feeling sensitive, uh, some pain, right? And then it's like, okay, now I go to this position. Ooh, I can play with depth here. Depth is working. You know, then maybe it's like, okay, well now this position isn't working, but if I go to this position now I'm good. Or again, we change positions, but we use a position that can stimulate the woman while giving me pain at the same time. Now I can last in this. So we're, we're constantly moving throughout the sexual space and taking different tools to be able to give us what we need in the moment. Right. And so it's one thing where I always say, well, you know, you need to, in some ways, strategize your sexual experience because, you know, if you, if you, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. And so in a lot of ways, guys aren't thinking what would enable them to be the best in the sexual space. They just go in blind. But if you know, because when you, for example, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll use this example, if we were to take, take all the positions, there will be one of them that is way more sensory inducing than all the others. And there is always going to be one that feels less good than all the others. And so why is it that often most guys first position we go to is the one that feels the best that we're going to struggle the most with. Well, that's lunacy, right? So I'll tell my clients, I'm like, worst position first. That's how we start, right? Because we want it. We want to enable us to get to that five minute marker. And we're certainly not going to get there. If we go to the absolute best orgasm inducing position right off the bat, like this is, you know, we're not planning for, we're not setting ourselves up for success here. So that's sort of a way that I look at things too. It's like, you got to understand, well, what, what are your limitations and how are we going to work our way to get where we want to go? I have clearly not discovered the worst position yet for me. <laughs> so I guess we'll have to experiment well, because it, because it becomes like a, it becomes literally, it does become sort of a, 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 an experiment. And, you know, with your wife, you could even experiment, just say, Hey, you know what? I'm going to run through four or five different positions on different days. And I'm going to, you know, and it's like, you could literally, you know I mean? This would almost be like a fun experiment, right? Like you just get a timer, right? And <laughs> yeah. yeah, because I like to have metrics, right? Like let's have some metrics behind this. 
And okay, start with position one. Well, how long can you last in that one? Another day, let's do position two. How long do we last in that one? And you're going to find, hey, you know what? One of these, just I can, I can maneuver more than the others. And then it's like, okay, well, now this gives me a starting point where I can say, okay, well, if things go badly, rather than staying in the position that's causing me problems, maybe I'd be better off transitioning to another position whereby I can get a little bit of, of a breather and get a little bit of respite. Yeah, I should just uh, preface here also as well that so people don't think I'm just like that, that one minute guy. <laughs> um, I, we have noticed that like the more frequently you do it, the more, the longer you can last. So in my experience, the more infrequently you do it, because again, this is this really exciting experience, you know, bam, you don't last very long. So the more frequently you do it, and one of the combos that I really, uh, supplement combos that I like is GABA combined with taurine because it activates the parasympathetic nervous system and kind of like takes off that, that hyperstimulation excitement. So you're, you're kind of like already with a supplement taking you from a nine to a seven. So you're kind of like more enjoying it. You're uh, better able to last long. And so as, after you get past that five minutes, you know, it's much easier to last an hour to however long you want to go. So I just want to say that I, we have had long sessions and there is obviously sessions that is much more, should I say I'm more in control of versus her, where I feel like, okay, I can control, I can last longer if I do this and that. Whereas other positions like, oh, just calm down. <laughs> yep. No, so I understand what you mean. It's like, okay, let's start with this one. And then we're going to transition to that one where it's just like, you know, finish it off. So start with something that you can control. And there are a few supplements that you can use, obviously, to help you make you last longer. You talked about histamine as one of those um, uh, things that you can modify. Yeah. So, so from, and, and again, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a biologist or anything. I just experiment on myself. And one of the things that I found to be very, very useful was playing with histamine levels. Um, so what I've typically used to do that is um, I'll use a combination of niacinamide and L-histidine because for me, by increasing my histamine levels, increase my level of sensitivity. Um, and that's, that's something that I've noticed a lot with myself. So if I wanted to be more sensitive, because from my perspective, especially in, in the porn business, the, the more sensitive I am, well, that's easier to get a hard on. So these things kind of go hand in hand and, you know, you're, you're looking for every sort of edge that you can get, because again, once you're in that space, you're mainly concerned with the physically created hard on because you're not in a, in necessarily a scenario where there's going to be a psychologically created hard on. So from my perspective, it's like, okay, well, how do we maximize our ability to generate that physically created hard on? Well, the better it feels and the more sensitive we are, then the easier it is to, to get that hard on. But I could see guys also using, you know, histamines in the opposite direction with L-methionine to lower it, to then create the opposite effect of what I'm trying to go for. In a way, perhaps more protein like meat can be a good, if people don't want to use a supplement uh, because meat's also really rich in methionine can help to lower histamine. But the problem is beef is also very rich in histidine. So you can like have that balance. <laughs> but it's good in zinc and zinc is like anti-excitement. So there's like quite a few things that you have to take in mind. Um, all yeah. right. So Let's talk about erections. What has been the most powerful stack for you or supplement that you have felt like, bam? Well, I mean, so, so for me, if I'm thinking about um, supplements, uh, Yohimbi bark extract is very good. 
Um, it's not for everybody uh, because some people don't tolerate it well. Um, but I would say, you know, for a natural supplement, that's probably one of the best things out there. Um, and then I've also really enjoyed um, uh, L-citrulline with the pycnogenol. I find that uh, that to be from a combination standpoint, um, very useful as well. Uh, I'd be curious to, 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 to hear your perspective on, you know, from, from your perspective as to what things have worked good for you. Uh, before I dive to that one, there's a tip for people that want to use your hemebind because it stimulates the sympathetic nervous system that might become overstimulated. It's very good to combine it with something like magnolia or valerian or something that's going to calm you, let's say, a little bit more GABAergic. And the cool thing about magnolia is that it also activates the CB1, the endocannabinoid 1 receptor, which is involved in pleasure. So that might be mm. an added benefit to make you calm and also enhance sensation. So that's something that I would combine if you feel like a little bit nervous from the hemebind. Um, and for erections, basically, people that struggle to get erections, first of all, it's a diet and lifestyle. The biggest causes is because they're insulin resistant. They have oxidative stress. It's causing vascular dysfunction. So insulin resistance and obesity is kind of like the main reasons why people get ED in the first place. So they have to fix that. So exercise and diet is going to make a big difference. And then also chronic stress because you activate the sympathetic nervous system. So you need a little bit, uh, let's say you have this gauge. So you want to be kind of like leaning more to the sympathetic nervous system side because that's going to stimulate that libido and drive aspect, dopamine and norepinephrine. But going too much of that side is going to kill your erections. So stress kills erections and it causes premature ejaculation. Whereas if you're going to the parasympathetic side, that uh, acetylcholine and nitric oxide aspect that stimulates proper erections. So um, that's why you kind of like need that balance. So if you want more libido, more sympathetic nervous system, if you want uh, better erections, you want to go more to the parasympathetic. But if you're going too much of the parasympathetic nervous system, you're never going to orgasm. You're so relaxed, like, okay, I have great boners, but I'm never going <laughs> to orgasm. <Yeah. laughs> so um, the stacks you, you mentioned, like um, citrulline, arginine with pycnogenol, that's great. There's a few other things, but I always like to stick with the diet and the lifestyle versus going to the supplements. Because I, as I said, with yeah. the baseline, you elevate the baseline, and you don't need those supplements. Like sometimes I would use a little bit of taurine GABA. And in my opinion, I think that's a mild stack. But for me, I can definitely notice like, um, especially the duration that we can go for, like it, it numbs me a little bit, not in a bad way, but it can, you know, you last longer, directions are stronger. So I, I find that enjoyable, but let's say someone has strong ED, they have potent ED. That stack is probably not going to get them to hundred percent. If they, <laughs> it might make a difference. Maybe like they can get a semi, but you have to get the, the lifestyle and the diet going. Um, what other supplements? There's a Neo 40 is a supplement that's really strong, enhancing nitric oxide production. Uh, there's a horny goat weed, um, Chitrak, Bangalala. Uh, there's so many different herbs that are uh, aphrodisiacs that can help to increase nitric oxide, increase like tubeless like terrestrials, for example, um, have aphrodisiac properties and also help to improve your vascular function reduce the inflammation, help get proper erections. But the thing is like, you have to find a good extract. You have to find what works for you. So I like to say, that's why I don't want to overwhelm people. Here is 20 supplements yeah. you can try. It's like, okay, which one should I try? Should I try all of them? It's like, I don't know what to try. <laughs> Diet and lifestyle. And then maybe use one supplement. See how you respond to that. Like something that has been shown to work, like pycnogenol, for example, or um, in the course, I, okay, I'm not going to give too much away in the course that I talked about the ED course, but um, yeah, diet lifestyle, and then one supplement to help you with that. Yeah. And, and I, I'm going to second what you're saying there, like just do one thing and see how it, how it works with you. You know, like I've, I've experimented with, with a lot of different things over my time. 
you know, when it comes to herbs and supplements and some of them, I didn't feel anything. Right. But it's like, I'll try one thing. Well, okay, let's take it to the laboratory. Let's see what happens. Right. Because the other thing too, is when you, when you intimately know your body and that's kind of the key, like I always, you know, tell people, look, you got to know yourself because then you can say, okay, well, I know how my body works. This is the result I got from trying X, Y, Z. Okay. Now I can say with some confidence that it's, it's based on this, that, that I, that the performance increased, but when you have guys that, that, you know, they don't even know what their base level performance is, or they've never been paying attention. And then they want to take five different things. It's like, well, okay, you don't know what's actually working and you don't really know how your body of its, you know, at a base level, how it's performing, you know, which again, takes us back to the diet and the exercise. Like, well, that is your floor. Yeah, like I mentioned previously about that client at 71. So his stress is very low. He can do a good diet. He's in a clean environment. All of the necessary things that you have to do to get proper erections. Um, but let's say someone is an executive. He's working long hours. He's a high stress job. He doesn't have a lot of time to get sunlight. All of those important things. I think they might have to rely more on supplements, but at least do the best you can with the diet. Maybe do some tanning beds if you can't get sunlight, because I know like, uh, let's say you're, you're working with a suit, you can't just go out and lunch, right? Take your suit off, get some sunlight, put your suit back on and go inside yeah. for the job. And sunlight is like one of the best things that can enhance your vascular function and enhance your hormones. That's uh, the, the things that I really want to focus on. If I help someone with their erectile function is like, uh, let's um, when it comes to lifestyle, also exercise and sunlight breathing and stress management. That, that's kind of like the top three to four things. That's going to make the biggest difference. Lower your inflammation, lower the cortisol and get you in a state where you can actually perform. Because um, another thing that I, we haven't talked about is that when you're stressed, even if it's subconscious, you're coming back home, you know, you think the stress is gone, but it's not. It's still subconsciously there. That's going to inhibit your sexual function. And that's going to inhibit your erections. You can't get a proper erection when you're even subconsciously a little bit stressed. And that's why you talk about the mental things. It's like, let's become aware in this moment. You, you can train your mind to let's become aware of this, what, what we're doing right now, how you're experiencing the situation. And then you can kind of like switch off the stress. But um, yeah, that takes practice, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. Right. I agree. I've um, explored all my questions. I really appreciate you coming on. This was quite long, but it was so filled with excellent stuff. I really appreciate you coming on um, onto this podcast, man. No, thank you for having me, man. I think, uh, I hope your listeners got a lot out of this today. And for everyone listening, I will link all of the products, the book, the second book that's going to come. I will also link this one description in the next five to six months when it comes out and the course and in any of his social media, you guys can check him out and I will check you in the next one. Cheers guys.